Welcome back to The Great Indoors. Before we dive into today's interview, I want to tell you about our next season, which will be recorded live at MWC Barcelona from February the 26th to the 29th. You'll hear from industry experts, explore new innovations, and gain new insight into the world of connectivity. New episodes coming early March, wherever you get your podcasts. Ah, Hockey Night in Canada is a great Canadian invention. So listen to these other inventions. The paint roller, the garbage bag, peanut butter, snow blowers, the Wonder Bra, IMAX Cinema, the Pacemaker, Snowmobiles, the Sport of Basketball, Insulin, Java Programming Language, the Electric Wheelchair, Walkie Talkies, Pages, Wireless Radio Transmission, were all invented by Canadians. Indeed, the Scottish-born immigrant to Canada, Alexander Graham Bell, invented the first practical telephone in 1875 whilst working in Boston. Also, the first mass-market smartphone, the BlackBerry, was invented right here in Canada by the firm Research in Motion. So Canada has a deep history of innovation and advancement in telecoms and technology in general. But why is that? Is it because the country is so vast? Is it because the country has such cold winters? I don't know. But today's question we will be tackling is why is high quality connectivity so important in Canada? And what role should government play in guaranteeing this? Welcome to The Great Indoors, a podcast where we look at the technological implications brought about by the next industrial revolution and how this can potentially help solve the biggest problems facing humanity. I'm your host, Matt Roberts, and joining me as ever is my trusty co-pilot and producer, Larissa Yee. Now, for this new season, this season seven, as I mentioned last week, we will have episodes that focus specifically on Canada and also regular interviews that we recorded at MWC Las Vegas, what, just over a month ago. Now, today's guest is Mr. Robert Giz. Now, Giz was born and raised in Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island. He attended Bishop's University, where he earned a bachelor's degree in political science. Robert then moved to Ottawa, and in 2001, he commenced a successful career in politics, culminating between 2007 and 2015, where Robert was the 31st Premier of the Canadian province of Prince Edward Island. Now, Robert took over the leadership as CEO of the Canadian Wireless Telecommunications Association in 2017. And earlier this year, the C. WTA changed its name to the Canadian Telecoms Association. Now, this is important. It's uh, We will be attending their summit in Toronto in uh, just next week, and I'm very looking forward to meeting Robert in person there. But for today, I'd like to welcome to the great indoors, Mr. Robert Gitz. So another episode of the great indoors. This is uh, uh, a number of special Canadian episodes 
we're bringing you. And I'm pleased uh, to introduce and announce our guest today, uh, a very special guest. His name is Robert Giz. He's the president and CEO of the Canadian Telecommunications Association, uh, who we'll be partnering with uh, at an event next month. So, Robert, welcome to The Great Indoors. Thanks, Matt. And uh, it's great uh, to be able to have this opportunity to uh, speak with you and speak to your listeners. I know you've been very successful over the last three years through uh, COVID. And now that we're post-COVID, uh, you're making your way around the world and talking to some pretty uh, influential people. So it's an honor for me to be here today. Yeah, and it's great to be in Canada, right? And like I said, we go around the world, we interview people from all over the world. Well, we're going to focus on Canada today, which is obviously uh, where you and I both live. And for our listeners, Robert, just give us a quick bio, if you will, of uh, of yourself, uh, your history and, and your role right now at the Canadian Telecommunications Association. Well, my name's Robert Giz. I'm born uh, in Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island. I actually come from a Lebanese and Scottish background. So if you put my whole name together, it's actually Robert Watson Joseph Giz. Uh, my birthday is January 21st, so you could imagine where the Robert comes from, Robbie Burns Day. Yeah, uh, yeah. Watson would be my grandmother's maiden name. I'm a, I'm a great Canadian mix, born and raised, went to school in Quebec for university, a small university called Bishops, went to Ottawa, worked on Parliament Hill. I worked with uh, the Honorable Sheila Copps, who used to be Minister of Canadian Heritage. I worked for Prime Minister Jean Chrétien. I also did a three-year stint at uh, one of our major banks, the Bank of Nova Scotia in Canada. From there, I, uh, I made my way home to Prince Edward Island, and uh, for some reason, I was convinced at the ripe age of 29 to enter politics. So I was um, first elected to our legislative assembly in 2003, actually as leader of our party. And then in uh, 2007, uh, I was fortunate enough to become premier of our province, Prince Edward Island, served for two terms, left on my own uh, abolition, made the choice that I wanted to try something else in life. Kind of floated around for a year or two after politics, doing some consulting gigs and working at a law firm. And then the telecom association came calling. I thought it was an interesting opportunity, something I didn't know too much about. I knew public policy. I knew people. But uh, so it was a steep learning curve. But now I've been here seven years. Uh, Believe it or not, time flies by when you're having fun. Uh, And it's a uh, great uh, industry to be involved in. Excellent. Wow. That's great. And um, tell us a little bit about the Canadian Telecommunications Association, Robert. What were your objectives? Yeah, so interesting. When I joined the association, we were called the Canadian Wireless Telecommunications Association. Over the last year, we rebranded. We dropped the wireless. We mainly did that because of the really the synergies and just the extent that wireline and wireless are more interconnected now than ever. We promote, really, uh, our main objective is to promote the industry to government, to policymakers, to our regulators, uh, and to the general public. We're looking for a regulatory environment that promotes investment because we believe being connected Uh, is the most important thing you can have, whether or not it's wireline or wireless. Uh, It is a, it equals things across 
all geographies, all backgrounds. It gives you an opportunity, whether or not you live in my hometown of Prince Edward Island, or you live in Northern Ontario, where you can be competitive with somebody in downtown London or downtown New York. So that's really the main focus uh, and objectives are, of our association is to promote the great work our members are doing, which are our, our members are essentially uh, the telecom providers in Canada, but also those companies that provide the infrastructure to build. So, for example, Samsung, Ericsson, uh, and Nokia are members as well. Yeah, excellent. excellent. Now, I started my career at a Canadian telecommunications company. When I left university in England, I went to work for Nortel. Moving forward in my career, I played a big part in the launch of BlackBerry when I was at Vodafone. And when you think about telecommunications, you think about the creator of telephony, Alexander Graham Bell, who, similar to yourself, Robert, was, was of Scottish descent and ended up in, in Canada. Uh, so I think Canada has a history, a unique history with innovation and telecommunications. But as of today, what makes Canada unique in this industry versus other countries? Yeah, great question and some great points. And, you know, I think we're in Canada, we are forced to be innovative. Uh, you know, we have the second largest landmass in the world and we have the population of a small country. So we're 35 million people in a, a country that is larger than the United States of America. Uh, you know, the state of California approximately has the same population uh, as all of Canada. So that makes us innovative in the sense that we need to be innovative. We have no option. First of all, we have to deal with different climates. Uh, we have to deal with a large geography uh, and we have to deal with a small population base. So the uniqueness that comes from that is that there are a lot of challenges in Canada for, for telecommunications. Challenges that I like to say we've been able to overcome because we have some of the top performing networks in the world, whether or not it's wireline or wireless. But if you want to build telecommunications in Canada, it's extremely expensive. So, you know, for example, per square capita, uh, one of the smallest imprints in the world. Um, so to be able to connect people becomes extremely expensive. But if you look at our connectivity that we have, we have approximately 99.5% of the population has LTE, uh, at least where they, where they live. We're up to low 90s in terms of broadband, but unfortunately, that does not include everyone. It still live, leaves people uh, that aren't connected, um, and I think that we need to have a regulatory environment that promotes that investment. The other thing that I think somewhat unique, right now we have three national, almost four national players. I know we'll get into some merger talk after, but right now with Quebec more acquiring Freedom Mobile, you know, for Canada, a population our size to have really three, almost four national providers plus regional providers uh, that provide in the East Coast, Central Canada, Quebec, other areas. It makes us really unique in that we do have strong networks and perhaps uh, more competition than people poss could possibly imagine. Also, because of the uniqueness of Canada and how hard it is to build here. When it comes to CapEx, our members need to spend basically more than anywhere else uh, in the world. They're 
spending approximately $11 billion a year to build our world-class networks in Canada. Uh, and if you look at just between the period of 2016 and 2021, they spent approximately $71 billion. And according to PwC in 2022, Canadian service providers typically spend equivalent to $168 on CapEx per subscriber, which is nearly double the average across the G7 and Australia. The other uniqueness is that because of our, I guess, political government system, the way that auctions are set up for Spectrum, we have some of the most expensive uh, Spectrum uh, in the world. Uh, our members have spent upwards of uh, $26 billion alone on Spectrum. So it's expensive to do things in Canada. Mind you, if you look at our airlines, if you look at our governments, if you look at our groceries, if you look at anything, having such a massive landmass with a small population, it does create those difficulties. Yeah, no, and I think that's a really, I often, right, I often used to think this, Robert, and, and I think you just validated it. When I was at Nortel, and even here at Amdocs, one of our biggest competitors, you mentioned them before, a global powerhouse, is Ericsson, that was from Sweden, Nokia from Finland. Whether it's a coincidence, it's not, but some of the most resilient, important network manufacturers and providers are in countries that are typically colder. <laughs> and I think it's because connectivity is vastly more important, particularly in the wintertime. It was always something, but I think as well, the vastness of Canada is what makes it expensive. And one of the things that we explored I think it was in season three, the aspect of connectivity for all, particularly when we went into COVID. So there's many indigenous communities that are more remote than some of the, the urban areas. And it was, you know, some of the initiatives that the, the big three in Canada were doing to enable connectivity for them was fascinating, was really a pioneering initiative that I think many other countries started looking into. Is that something that you look at in your role, the, the equalization, if you will, of connectivity across different demographics within Canada. Yeah, without a doubt. And that's what we want to promote. Um, and, and we want to promote it because we believe whether you live in downtown Toronto or downtown Vancouver, or you live in a First Nation, having the opportunity to be connected is extremely important. Now, if you look at it, when you look at the stats, our First Nations, are. we have a lot more work to do. Uh, we're at approximately 50%. Rural Canada is at approximately 80% in terms of connectivity. We have a lot more work to do there. It's harder to get there. It's harder to you know, justify the capex that needs to go out. But we believe that that's where government has a role to play. Uh, and we're fortunate that in Canada, uh, we have a strong uh, economy. Governments do have availability to resources. And whether or not it's federal or provincial governments, there are a lot of programs there that are helping to connect, but you can only build so quickly. And right now, we are on target to have 98% of Canadians connected by 2026. We're hoping to have 100% of Canadians connected by 2031. I would actually like to see that faster, but government money can only flow out uh, at a certain rate, uh, and you can only get workers to build uh, at a certain speed. 
but it is something that from my perspective as president of the telecom association, but I know all of our members, regional and national providers, uh, making sure that all Canadians are connected is something that is extremely important. Yeah. Now, and, and you talked about it before that, you know, the cost of the spectrum, the cost of rolling out the networks uh, across such a vast geographical expanse is expensive. Absolutely. Uh, and obviously, the, the investment that goes into it, as you mentioned, is one of the highest in the, in the developed world. As, as But one of the other things in Canada, and you talked about it as well, that the regional and national, could there be more competition in Canada? Is there space for more? And the reason why I say that is because it has the highest prices for consumer telecommunications in the G7. And it's a debate that I often see often uh, in the telecommunications space in Canada. What, what's your perspective on that? And the reason why I ask this question is because in the United States, where there's masses of competition and prices are down with unlimited data plans and uh, et cetera. But what's your view on that from a Canadian perspective, Robert? Yeah, first of all, let me say that our prices in Canada have actually been going down dramatically over the last number of years. Um, if you look on just the internet side alone, not as dramatic as the wireless side. So to, just to give you a, a perspective, over the last two years, like everywhere in the world, CPI has been going up. In Canada, we're up uh, approximately 11%, whereas internet access has gone down 3%. If you look at the four-year change in CPI, it's actually up almost 15%, whereas wireless prices are down over 30%. So we are seeing a dramatic change in price in Canada because of the competition that's existing between the national players and the regional players. I would also say this, our ICED, which is our federal department uh, that is in charge of telecommunications, does price comparisons. And in, I think within the last six months, We've seen it where three main buckets, so I believe it was in the four to eight gig range, where Canada is actually now cheaper than the United States. And that is a massive shift, I'll admit it, over, over the last number of years. And we're seeing more and more. And now, within the last couple of years, you've also seen the introduction of unlimited plans. So now that we have unlimited plans, we were perhaps late, no, we were later to the game than some other jurisdictions, but that's just because it took us so long to build out. But I want to give some, because there are some myths out there. So allow me to correct some of the myths. Believe it or not, Canada has the most LTE networks and the second most 5G networks in the world. LTE networks, we actually have nine LTE competitors in Canada. 5G, we have eight networks that are doing that. We're second only behind the United States. And none of our wireless providers have over 33.3% of the overall market. When you compare that with AT&T in the U.S. who has 45% or Telstra in Australia that has 40% or Orange that has around 37% in France. So when you look at it, we're actually one of the least concentrated markets in the world, but it's taken us a while to get this competitive. And I think right now we're at the cusp of 
with prices going down, with 5G and more spectrum and our networks becoming more available, we're in a very good situation. But I'm going to go back to your previous point, and that is those people that aren't connected. We cannot rest on our laurels. Governments cannot rest on their laurels. The CRTC, our regulator, cannot rest on their laurels because there's still hundreds of thousands, if not in the low millions, people that still need to be connected in our country. And until they are connected, then they do not have the same advantages as those people that are connected. After that, even those people that are connected today, we know that when it comes to 5G, Canada is a little bit of a laggard in terms of 5G deployment. Our 3,500 has been released. Our 3,800 is up for auction. So we will catch up. And, you know, we we were a little bit behind when it came to LTE as well. And then we caught up and we became one of the best networks in the world. I'm hoping the same thing will happen with 5G. But it cannot happen without a my members investing the billions of dollars that they do every year and my other members providing world-class technology to make it happen. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, that's, it is a myth. It is a myth, and it's something that you hear everywhere, and 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 probably, and and as you said, unfairly, because when you look at the quality of the networks as well here, and I've lived in and worked in many different places for a vast expanse, that the quality is first class, right? As far as particularly my five G network tells me. One of the other things we like to discuss, Robert, is and it, and it became clear a, a, a magnifying glass. A spotlight was shone on this during COVID is the importance of connectivity to society. There was this um, rebrand of technology during the COVID. You know, so part of that myth, I paid too much for this. People are spending too much time on their screens. And then COVID happened and it was like, well, technology was the saviors of underpinning the lives that we live. And, And I think a lot of people saw and had a better realization of the positives that connectivity and technology give across every aspect of society. From your perspective, what are the biggest societal positives that great ubiquitous connectivity can give the people of Canada? Now, let me just start by saying that uh, I'm in total agreement with your preamble. Probably not only Canadians, but people around the world took their connectivity for granted, so to speak. Uh, And then we go through the largest pandemic in 100 years. Imagine if the pandemic had happened 10 years prior. You would have had people in maybe some metropolitan areas that would have been able to stay connected. But the vast majority of people would not have been able to stay connected. So I think that the importance of connectivity was highlighted because of COVID. Unfortunately, you know, we all wish COVID didn't happen, but because the connectivity we had, you know, we were able to still continue on as a society, business-wise, socially, educationally. And I think that um, it's really proven the advantages because as you say, there are disadvantages, but I think COVID really highlighted the vast importance of telecommunications uh, and staying connected. Now, some of the benefits that we're seeing in society, you know, I'm in downtown Toronto. My kid was on his way to a 
hockey game or hockey practice before we joined this uh, this conversation. I was able to FaceTime him uh, and say, good luck at practice, ask him how his game went last night that I that I wasn't able to watch. Or if I'm on the road, I'm able to, uh, you know, sometimes people live stream games. So you're able to watch your kids play or grandparents can watch that can't leave their home. You know, I think those social aspects are something that is extremely important uh, as well. Besides, you know, there, there's an enormous number of economic values, but there's also a lot of social values as well when it comes to connecting, staying close with friends, with family that can allow people to be able to feel better about themselves, knowing that they're able to connect with family and friends more so than ever. You talking about your son there makes me think about another point that we were only just coming to terms with after the pandemic now. What that connectivity and technology did for the younger demographics, it brought their skills and their their normalization of usage to a higher level than we would have had 20, 30 years ago. So they became digital natives. They accepted that this is how they were going to do their schooling. They accepted that this is how, for that short period of time, they were going to have to speak to their friends. They became accustomed to doing video calls. So if I'm traveling on business now, my nine-year-old daughter will, without question, be able to do all her video calling as if it was second nature. So there was almost a digital vault in that younger uh, demographic that I think is, is advantageous as we've moved forward now. But what I was speaking to with the, the TELUS executives was there's now an expectation from this younger demographic that are the consumers and customers of the future to this higher level of service and digital expectation so that everybody has to up their game now because these youngsters have an expectation that we never had, right? They expect the connectivity. They expect things to work. They know how to use it. It's first nature to them, not second nature. Every tech company now, the digitalization, that, that vault has, has been propelled by COVID, right? Is, is that something you see with your members uh, in the organization, Robert? Yeah, so I, I think the most exciting part is the unknown. And, and I'll give you an example. So, you know, when LTE came out, could we have predicted Uber or exactly, FaceTime yeah. or any? Of the, I, I like to say if we could have predicted them, we'd be billionaires. Or if you go back to when the computer was first created and Bill Gates designed things um, that nobody ever thought would be possible. Or, you know, you look at what BlackBerry did to the market and then what Apple did after, what Samsung's doing as well. Uh, you know, all these things are unpredictable. And now that our kids are so more immersed in this, and like you said, it's second nature for them or first nature, who knows what they're going to be able to figure out what 5G yeah. can do. But I'll be honest with you, just like you said, and I hope it's one of our kids, but you know, it, it, it'll <laughs> probably be any kid. There's going to be some kid in the garage playing around with their computer or their phone on 5G and is going to come up with some idea that's going to change the world, hopefully for the better, by then a trillion-dollar idea. Um, yeah. And to me, that's the exciting part of it for, for, for that next generation. It's really the unknown of 
who knows what to expect. It's an exciting industry. We're the enabler for everything else that exists. You look at what CEOs across all industries are trying to do, and it's all about digitalization. Well, who's allowing that to happen? It would not happen if my members were not spending over $10 billion a year. It would not happen if they weren't bidding billions of dollars each year on Spectrum. It would not happen without the developments that the suppliers, the Samsungs, the Ericsons, the Nokias, what they're going. So I like to say, you know, it's arguably the most important industry there is in the world, those that are building our networks. It's the backbone of everything. I know I'm, I'm, I'm from my position, I'm, I'm overly proud, but when you take a look back, think of everything you do in your life, it's digitized now. And yeah, yeah. that would not happen without the telecom industry. When I started my career in telecoms at Nortel in England, the internet was still not mainstream. Mobile telephony was coming through, but it was nowhere near the sort of 99% penetration that we have today. You know, BlackBerry was a huge innovation, which laid the foundation for the smartphone, which laid the foundations for 4G networks. And like you said, Uber and those things that we see today. And with the the new entrepreneurs and pioneers that are digital natives combined with the power of a 5G network is a real cocktail of innovation about to go off, right? This, And, and if we were excited in the past, like you said, we're, we're, we're right to be even more excited about what the future lies and, and how quickly things move. And my next question is about something that's hit us all by surprise in the last 12 months. So if we turn the clock back 12 months and I was doing this podcast, the one word I was saying to all of my guests is, what do you think of the metaverse, 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 right? It was like second nature. And then in November 2022, out of nowhere came ChatGPT from OpenAI. So I don't think I can open up a copy of The Economist since that moment in time where there hasn't been an article on AI, its manifestations in different areas of society, the good, the bad, the productive. What's what's your thoughts on generative AI, Robert, from a telecoms perspective, but also from a broader societal perspective moving forward? Obviously, there's tremendous opportunities to improve society, improve healthcare, improve delivery of services to you name it. Like I said previously, with all great new inventions, there's positives and there's negatives. I, I've seen examples of AI working by just calling a call center, them asking a couple of questions and able to fix your problem almost simultaneously, which is what we need. We have workforce issues in, in Canada, as they do in the U.S. and across the G7, and these things can be a massive help uh, when it comes to certain areas. Are there going to be a downside? Yes. What is the answer? I don't know yet. There's going to be a learning process. We've got governments all over the world 
uh, that are trying to regulate this. Will they get it right the first time? No, they won't. Plus, I always like to say every piece of legislation that's ever produced should be designed to evolve with society. And that would be my recommendation to any government that makes sure that any legislation that they bring in with regards to AI, that it has an evolutionary component to it, because we're going to learn more as time goes along. And you're right. We're, we're talking light years over the last year. I would say flexibility is needed. Common sense is needed. Consultation is needed. Uh, it's important to keep the consumer in mind, protecting the consumer. And that is always the number one goal, especially my members, is protecting the consumer. Because without the consumer, there is no business. Yes, we have to protect the consumer, but we have to allow the flexibility for ideas to evolve and to move society forward. So it's it's a careful yeah. dichotomy that, that exists out there. No, but and it's really interesting because, of course, you're, a, by your history, a, a legislator, Robert. And I think when we look at the chaos that social media caused across the world in the last seven or eight years, the legislation designed to deal with social media was the original internet I'm talking about in the US now, was the original Internet app that had been signed by Bill Clinton in 1998. It hadn't evolved to the point where social media and, and the mass proliferation of disinformation was causing havoc. Do you think lawmakers around the world have learned from Facebook now when looking at the potential downside of generative age? Do you think they're cognizant of that now and thinking, hey, listen, we got to keep an eye on this before something nefarious potentially happens. Let me just say, unfortunately, through experience, I can say politicians are probably one of the largest targets of misinformation um, and, and attacking. So there's nobody out there that probably has more of a self-interest to try and get rid of the misinformation and put in regulations that actually make sense for consumers. The problem is you're dealing with free speech. You're dealing with the ability to stay anonymous, so to speak. Uh, and we see a lot of that. And like I say, these things are going to evolve. I've seen corporations evolve that have changed their guidelines along the way based on what can be done. Is there a silver, is there a magic wand? If there was, I, I, I would give it to you right now. I, I Unfortunately, I don't think there is. The only thing I would say is, you know, there's certain countries that are out in front in terms of legislating. They're going to make mistakes. Sometimes being a slow second follower is not necessarily a bad thing because you can learn from those mistakes mm -hmm. uh, and correct them. Again, it goes back to consultation, keeping an open mind, making sure that you're listening to corporations uh, and individuals, but making sure that you're using your common sense uh, when it comes to this. So, you know, we don't want to shut down innovation. You don't want to put a chokehold on innovation. You want to make sure that innovation can still flourish while also having mechanisms in place that protect our most vulnerable. Yeah. And I think whilst people speculate on potential negative externalities with the metaverse or with generative AI. We just don't know if there is going to be any and, and what the extent of that is. So it, it's that 
caution, making sure you don't strangle innovation and progress, but at the same time keeping an eye on on, on on the potential downside. And you make a really good point there, Robert, that I hadn't thought of before. You're right. Politicians and, and governments as a whole have, have been some of the biggest targets for the disinformation campaigns that have been waged all over the world using technology. So that's that's a really good point. Now, what's your view on the recent merger between Shaw and Rogers and the potential impact that will have on, going back to more Canadian things now, on the Canadian industry as a whole? Yeah, great question. So I represent the entire telecom industry. So when the Rogers-Shaw merger got announced, I kind of had to sit on my hands uh, while that was going on because I might have some other members that may not be necessarily for it. So but now that it's gone through, I can speak a little more freely on it. I think that what it's done is it's helped create a fourth national carrier in Quebec or and Freedom Mobile. And we've seen since the merger, prices have continued to come down. So it's not like we're in a position now where there's less competition out there. There's actually more of a footprint across the country in certain ways than there was before because and then when it comes to wireline like we mentioned we are a capital intensive industry and i think that we've seen a lot of this merger allowing rogers now to have the ability to compete at west with telus where they were not in that position uh before and then now you have quebec or with their freedom mobile that is covering off 80% of the country, if not more. And it's creating an interesting environment where Canada perhaps is in a situation where we're the closest thing to four national carriers than most other jurisdictions around the world. So I think things still need to level themselves out. It'll take time uh, to see how things evolve. But um, from what we've seen short term is that competition's thriving uh, in Canada. Awesome. Great. Now, Robert, I've really enjoyed our conversation. It's been a pleasure to speak to you and and get your insights. Uh, And as we come towards the end of the podcast now, we like to do our, we call it our TGI to go round, where we just learn a little bit more about you. So I'm going to give you two options and you're going to give me your preference and then maybe we'll we'll talk about it a little more. But it's just a bit of fun to, to end the episode. So let's get ready for TGI to go. TGI to go. Question number one, the Leafs or the Senators? Well, it would be it would be the Canadians for me, uh, but okay. I would cheer for the Senators over the Leafs. But my 10-year-old son is a diehard Leafs fan. Ah, and really? I hate to see, like, he's literally the last two or three years cried when the Leafs have lost. And I've told him, when he started off cheering for the Leafs, that it's it's actually a good thing because it's going to teach character. It's going to teach him how to lose. <laughs> so he's he's big fans of Austin Matthews, um, oh, yeah. Varna, yeah, John Tavares, yeah, 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 loves all those guys. His favorite player is Connor McDavid. Um, his bed covers, his jerseys, his everything is Leafs. Wow, awesome, great. 
Well, Robert, we've come to the end of, of the episode. I want to say thank you very much for joining us uh, this afternoon. Do you have any last words you'd just like to... And we'll see you soon at the at the summit in, in November. But do you have any uh, any last words you'd like to leave with our listeners before we sign off today? Just that I think that the biggest thing uh, that still exists for us as a society, whether it's in Canada or anywhere in the world, is making sure that everyone is connected. And if people get the chance when they go to Barcelona or Vegas and they listen to GSMA talk, we have no idea how lucky we are in Canada because there are billions of people in the world without connectivity. Uh, And if we want to raise the standard of living, not only in Canada to those small percentage, but very important percent that don't have it, but there's billions of people that have no connectivity. And I think as a world citizen, it's something that... uh, we need to make sure that, um, yes, we connect everyone in our own country, but also uh, an equilibrium will be connecting the rest of the world as well. Wow. What another great episode to celebrate Canada. Uh, and fantastic to have such an esteemed and accomplished guest as Robert on the show. Thanks again, Robert. It was a pleasure speaking to you. And I look forward to meeting you in person in Toronto at the summit uh, next week. So please subscribe to our podcast on all the usual podcast channels. Leave a review or rating if you feel so inclined. It certainly helps us. And also visit our website, amdocs.com forward slash the great indoors. Lots of videos and content and back episodes that stretch all the way back to 2020 when we started this thing. We'll be back next week as the new season continues. I'm Matt Roberts for Amdocs in Toronto. Have a great day wherever you are.